Good morning. Um, I am very thankful that we can be joined together today via this technology, this new technology we're trying out. Um, even with this, these circumstances that we're in that are preventing us from gathering for a time being here. And I'm, I'm very thankful uh, and joyful that we're able to be directed to God's word this morning. But before we dive into the word of God, uh, let me update you on a, a few things that's going on here at church with all the different circumstances. So for the, the time being, as you can see here, uh, for those who are watching, we'll be live streaming our Sunday services on YouTube as well as Facebook um, until further notice uh, as we are working through this and getting updated information as we go here as well. We're also working on a podcast uh, for those who audio is a better. There's a, there are a few members that the audio works far better than getting the video. And so if that's if that's one of you, please let me know and we can get that for you. Um, and then if you know of any members who may not have access to the internet uh, and would like a rent out transcript, there are some members who have asked for that. And so if that's you, please let me know and I can get you on that list and we can make that happen. On top of that as well, you may have seen this morning, we just put out or set up uh, a website for Solway. And so if you're interested, that's the that's going to be kind of the main hub of communication. We'll still be doing stuff on Facebook and announcing things, but we wanted to make it even more of an access because there's a lot of members that do not have Facebook. And so that website is linked on this Facebook channel, and it's going to be www.solwaybiblechapel.org. And on there, um, you'll see uh, here in the future, we'll be updating on events, things like that. And so that will be kind of the communication avenue we're planning to go through. And so again, that's www.soulwaybiblechapel.org. If you're on Facebook, it'll be linked um, on our, our About page. Um, and if you're on YouTube, we'll put that in the comments here in the near future. On top of that, uh, or please be patient with us as we are um, working through this, as we're trying to figure out the different avenues of communication, what that looks like, what it all consists of. Um, yes. And then please remember our priority as leadership is to care for the church family. And so if you have any pressing needs, if you have prayer requests, please contact me, one of the elders, one of the deacons, and we will do what we can. Um, and so in this time where things are a little unknown, please let us know. And please continue praying for our leadership, for the leadership of our, our nation. Uh, please pray for our health medical professionals and, and for the lost during this time. And so with that, please uh, join with me now in prayer. Lord God, Lord, in this, this kind of trying time, God, we pray that you would just remind us of your fatherly care. Lord, as we read uh, not too long ago, a few months ago in Galatians, that we're, we're in Christ, we're adopted into your family. Remind us that we are children of God and that you've promised to care for our needs as we seek first your kingdom, as we seek first your righteousness. And Lord, I pray for our families and our church family. Uh, God, we ask that you'll give us men in these families grace and strength to lead our families during this time. Uh, Father, help us to lead with a confidence in your provision, your goodness, and just a confidence that you have good favor towards us because of Christ. Lord, help us 
to, to model to our children a trust in you. May we be an example to our wives, to our children, what it looks like to walk with you and trust in you during a, a trying time, a time of unknown things. Um, and Lord, help us, um, help us just be confident, know that you are there, that you are faithful and that you're trustworthy. And God, I pray for all the, the wives and mothers and the families as well. Lord, give them wisdom and patience and perseverance as some things might be changed with kids being home. Uh, Lord, may that uh, may your grace be known and just evident that you are that you are outpouring your kindness on us in this time. And Lord, may you just give them uh, these ladies a sense of their massive, significant role as a mother. And Lord, we pray for our children. Um, that this may be a time that our children see your faithfulness and trustworthiness and your goodness um, in a, a pressing time. Uh, God, we pray, Lord, we continue to pray for the salvation of our kids and all of our, our kids in our church families, our kids on Wednesday nights with uh, the kids' ministry and the youth group. Lord, we pray that you would bring them to you, that you would draw them to you. And Lord, we pray for our parents Lord, pray for me, for our leadership, for all our parents, for wisdom and how to best lead our kids. And Lord, I pray for our, our single adults in our church family. Lord, give them wisdom on how to best uh, invest in our kids as well as we need them and their input and their what they bring to the table. And Lord, we are we are very thankful for our, our government leaders who are trying their best, trying to figure things out. And Lord, we, we pray for them for wisdom on how to best how to what decisions to make in this situation in terms of people's health as well as the economy lord we pray on all levels donald trump president trump uh our governor lord tim walls and then all our county and city officials father we just pray that you give them wisdom and lord we we ask um these leaders who may not know you we pray that this might be a time where they're just drawn to you god that, that there's hope in you and Lord, we pray again for our, our health professionals um, in this area, in our country, and across the, the globe. Lord, may you give them perseverance. May you keep them safe. And uh, we, we are very thankful, Lord, that you work in the natural means of our doctors and our nurses and all the other staff. Uh, Lord, we are here today. Um, Lord, we stand before you as our, your children and your word tells us over and over that you're good and about your steadfast love. And God, we just we come to you for refuge this morning, this week, uh, for for our lives continuing, Lord. And we just ask you to to use your word this morning to edify us, to encourage us, to challenge us. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So it has been said that the greatest illusion in our lives is that we're in control of our lives. And it's during times like we're in now, kind of the unknown, the unknown about uh, income, the unknown of our kids' schools, the unknown about a lot of different things, that it becomes exposed as just that, an illusion or a lie. In this response... A reasonable response to this illusion or explosion of this illusion 
could be fear, could be anxiety, could be worry. And I say it's the reason because if it's just that, if it's just that we're not in control, then that's a logical, a logical response. But we can have a life of rest and security because of Jesus Christ and because he is in control. And we can have deep faith and trust in him and can even rest in him in this unknown time because he is in control. And I, I say that because that's exactly what we're going to be kind of seeing here the next four weeks. So the next four weeks, the plan is we'll be considering different events in Jesus's life working up to his, his death and resurrection. So we'll be focusing on what has been called the, the Passion Week, the week before Jesus uh, or the week up to Jesus being crucified and resurrected. And I, I'm excited about this because this is the resurrection, the foundation of our confident hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, If Jesus has not been raised, then your faith, my faith, is worthless. And if he has not been raised, then we are still in our sins and we are damned and we are in trouble. And so that's why I, I'm excited to talk about the resurrection and the different events that lead up to it because this is the bedrock of our hope, our hope Right now in this situation, our hope in our lives, the hope that when we die, we will be raised. And so I'm pretty excited about this. And our, our pas- passage this week, our passage this week, or today I should say, is going to be when Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. And throughout this whole passage, we'll see there's a one big announcement, and that's that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. We'll see that throughout the whole next four weeks here. And so he is king over the world. He is king over me. He's king over you. He is king over those who don't even acknowledge him. And so that's the ringing announcement. And we'll see in our passage today four main things about this king. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I'll give you a few seconds there. Matthew 21. And let's read it together. So Matthew 21 reads this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the Lord, the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So like I said, we'll see four things uh, in this passage about King Jesus. This announcement that Jesus is king. So four things. Number one is we see the authority of the king. The authority of the king. We'll see that in the first three verses. And what Matthew does here, verse 1, is he kind of sets this up. 
What is going on? So he sets this up. First one, he says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem, it came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, and the Jews sent two disciples. And so we see here, Jesus and the disciples are going to Jerusalem. And this, uh, a little context here, kind of setting this up. What's going on? They're going to Jerusalem because they're going to, to the festival of unleavened bread. And the reason why this is important, because the festival, festival of unleavened bread is one of three festivals where it's commanded uh, specifically in Exodus 23 that all Jewish men are supposed to get there. Those who are able are supposed to get to Jerusalem. One of three. And so with that in mind, imagine all of these Jewish men coming to Jerusalem for this event. So historically, um, historians put Jerusalem at that time to be about 400 to 600,000 people. So it was a, it was a decent-sized place. When it came to these different feasts, it swelled to about 2 million possibly. So this is a, a massive group of people. And so it's full of Jewish men. This is a, uh, so that's what we're looking at. This is the picture of what's going on here. It was packed with Jewish men. And remember, at the beginning, the start of this feast of unleavened bread, which lasted about seven days, it starts with the Passover. And so Jesus and the disciples begin heading to Jerusalem. Now, traditionally, and I say this for a purpose, traditionally, um, this event, Jesus' entering Jerusalem in this triumphal entry, has been said to occur on the Sunday before he was crucified. Hence the name Palm Sunday, as some of us may remember. Um, I tend to believe it occurred on Monday. And the reason I'm bringing this up is this. Please, please follow with me here. Is this a big deal? No, but I think this is very interesting how it connects. So listen to this. In Exodus, so remember, this is all for the Passover event. In Exodus chapter 12, it's commanded to the Israelites that the lamb that they're going to sacrifice on the Passover, on the 10th of that month, they're to bring into their household. On the 10th of the month, the lamb they're going to sacrifice, on the 14th of the Passover, they're supposed to bring it into their household on the 10th. And if you line that up with what's going on here with Jesus, he gets crucified on Friday, Passover, and if he comes in on Monday, that's the same, that lines up exactly with Exodus, that you're supposed to bring in the Passover lamb to the household. And so what we get here is a picture of Jesus, the Passover lamb to be sacrificed to atone for sin. He enters the household. He enters Jerusalem. And so that's why I think, and I tend to for different reasons, that this actually is occurring on Monday and not the traditional Palm Sunday. And it's a, a great picture of Jesus just continuing to fulfill that he's the one that everything's pointed, that he is the king and that he comes as the Passover lamb entering the household where he's going to be sacrificed just a few days later and he comes and he enters. And what a picture. But we see here, uh, so we see that the disciples, they obey, and Jesus, obey God's command to be at Jerusalem for this Feast of Unleavened Bread, which starts with Passover. And then Jesus sends out two disciples. Verse 2 and 3, it reads, Saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he shall send them at once. So Jesus sends two disciples ahead, right? To find the donkey and a colt, and he tells them to bring them to him. 
interesting note, side note, or it might be something you may be wondering. It's definitely uh, something that historians have wondered is why is Jesus asking for two donkeys if he's just going to ride the, the younger, the colt? Why? Um, those uh, of you watching who may uh, probably know this if you've worked with livestock, cattle, horses, um, it's hard to separate the youngling from the mom, especially when the, the youngling's young. And so it makes sense here uh, if Jesus is saying, yeah, bring the colt and its mom, the mother donkey, because the colt's not going to be at all cooperative if you don't bring them with. And so we get this kind of picture. So that makes sense of why there's two, because we see later that Jesus rides the colt. So he's bringing the donkey, the mom too, the mother, so that the colt would actually cooperate and would, have, would always be fighting to get back to the mom. So that, just a side note what's going on there. So Jesus says, it's very interesting. We see the authority of Christ. He says, yep, you go, you get it, untie it. And if someone asks, and presumably the owner of the donkey and the colt, if they ask, hey, what are you doing here, man? Like These are my, my donkeys tied up. What are you doing? And all you have to say is, hey, the, the Lord, the Lord needs them. And the owner is just going to obey. Presumably the owner is just going to obey. Yep, take them. And so we see here that the disciples obey Jesus, go into town. And the person who asked them what's going on here, they obey when they say the Lord needs them. And so they know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They know that he's the king, he's the Lord, and they obey. But do you and I know who Jesus is? Are we confident in his authority? Um, some of us are familiar with the, the Great Commission, right? Um, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he appeared to some people for about 40 days. And then he, he, before he ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, he gave the Great Commission to the church, to the disciples. And if you look at it, Matthew 20 and 18, the reference, if you want to look at it, he says this. This is how he starts the Great Commission, and this is how he, he's got it founded. He says this. And Jesus and, came, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, be, me being Jesus. So he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, being Jesus. And so do you believe that? Do I believe that? That even in the midst of this, Jesus has authority. He has authority over my life and what to say with what to do with my money, what to say to do with my family, what to say to do with my my any kind of resources, my time, anything. He is the Lord and he is right to tell me what to do. He is Lord over these governments. He's Lord over these terrorists. He is Lord over the world. He's Lord over this plague, this disease. He's Lord over all these, these cancers. He is Lord. And he is in control. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And do we believe that? And he is Lord over those who don't even acknowledge that he's Lord, that he has all authority. Jesus, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Paul, and I brought this up last week. Paul writes this in Philippians 2. He says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the Jesus we serve, the, the King, the Lord. Um, the, the world sometimes, I'm not sure if anyone has told you, um, sometimes they'll say that uh, our belief is just a crutch, right? Hey, hey, yeah, you just have that faith because it's a crutch. Listen to this. Listen to how John describes our King in Revelation 19. He says this, 
Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a rope dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has name, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's Jesus. He's the king. He's no crutch. He is Lord of all. He has come and he will return. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so the first point we see in this passage is that Jesus is king and he's got authority. The authority of the king. The first part of this passage is Jesus is king and he's got authority. Number two is going to be verses four to seven. Here we see here is the fulfillment of the king. The fulfillment of the king. So read with me here, verse four. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of, the be- of a beast of burden. Verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. So what we see here in Matthew makes very clear that Jesus is the king who has been prophesied long ago. He is the 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 long awaited king. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, most of your Bibles, if you have yours open, will kind of have um, that that quote there in Matthew about the the to say to the daughter of Zion, kind of bracketed or a different kind of set in the paragraph. And the reason for that is, as Matthew says, he's quoting Zechariah. This is a prophecy from Zechariah, and mind you, this is Zechariah made this prophecy over 500 years ago. 500. That's like 1500. A.D. for us compared to 500 years ago. So that's a massive time. If you're like me, I think history started when I was born. Funny, but no. But that was 500 years. 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah prophesied this. And he quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And remember this. Jesus is entering. Jerusalem is full of Jewish men because they're there for the feast. It's full There's no doubt, no doubt that the Jews seeing this happen before them do not think of this passage. They know who Jesus is. They know the Messiah, the King they're looking for. No doubt that they're seeing the fulfillment of this this quote here happen before them. Zechariah says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion being being." Jerusalem, uh, one of the Mount Zion is one of the mounts that Jerusalem is built on. The daughter of Zion being the, the inhabitants, the people of Jerusalem. He's, Zechariah says, behold, say to the daughter of Zion. And here we see Jesus entering Jerusalem with potentially thousands of people watching this as Jesus enters. And Zechariah says, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here comes Jesus the king, 
coming on a donkey's colt right before their eyes. And Jesus, the king, enters on a donkey, not like the white stallion we see later in Revelation, as I just read from, but a donkey, which is a symbol of humility and peace. He comes as the Passover land entering into the household of Jerusalem to be sacrificed days later at Passover. So he comes riding, it says, a beast of burden. He is the king that comes to take our sin, the burden of our sin, the burden of death, the burden of rebellion. So Jesus comes, presenting himself, coming in. He's fulfilling this prophecy, presents himself as the long-awaited king, the fulfillment of the king. And he comes to inaugurate his kingdom, the kingdom of God, um, this is the message that Jesus has been preaching from the very beginning, the kingdom of God. Uh, if you want to jump to the beginning of Matthew, this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is like the first recorded words that Matthew preaches, I'm sorry, that Jesus preaches. It says that from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Jews didn't like to say they reverence God's name so much that they don't say God, but they refer to God with heaven where God is. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see in the other gospel recording is the kingdom of God. So Jesus has come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has come to inaugurate his kingdom. But it did not happen how the Jews expected. They were expecting at that time for the Messiah King to come to overthrow the current rulers, being the Romans, to overthrow them and then start ruling on earth at that time. But Jesus, he came how he came. He came to atone for sin first. He came to die for his people first. But he will set up his kingdom later when he returns. So please understand this. The kingdom of God that we see Jesus coming in, presenting himself as king, he's inaugurating his kingdom. It has a, a dual aspect to it. It has an already aspect and a not yet aspect. Let me explain that here just a little bit. So there's some aspects that already are. And there's some aspects that are not yet is what's going on here. So Jesus inaugurates his kingdom. He came, he entered, he triumphantly entered. He presented himself as king, as the true awaited king. He comes and inaugurates his kingdom. So already, right now, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, is sitting at the right hand of God the Father on his throne and he reigns. He rules. All authority is mine on heaven and earth is what jesus said so he reigns right now most visibly in his people the church he reigns in their lives he is lord but there will come a day there will come a day and the bible says it's imminent it is coming nothing's going to stop it it is coming when jesus returns and he will set up his physical and visible kingdom on earth and reign it is real and it's imminent and it's coming so we see in the kingdom already, already it's been inaugurated and Jesus is reigning. Not yet, though, is the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus comes the second time and he sets his visible, physical kingdom here on earth. So it's coming, but the king has come. The kingdom is near because the king is here. And when he comes again, and the Bible says he will come, he will come. Every knee will bow, Paul says. He is the king. 
He rules over his people now, and when he returns, he will rule over people who don't even acknowledge that he's king. So that's the king we serve. That is King Jesus. So we see here, this king comes into Jerusalem. It's evident his authority, and it's evident of the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the king. Here is the man we've been waiting for for years and years, thousands of years for some of the of the Israelites in the past. Here he is, finally. And that brings us to the third aspect of this king. And the third aspect is this. This king deserves worship. This king deserves worship. Look at me, uh, verse 8. Uh, Matthew writes, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Hence the name Palm, Palm Sunday, referring to the Sunday. Where they're, they're putting the palm trees down. In this, this picture here, spreading one's garments on the road, um, on the street, is an ancient act of homage and respect only for high royalty, that being a king. The Israelites did this with King Jehu back in 2 Kings chapter 9. And so we get a picture here. Here's Jesus coming out on the donkey. No doubt there could possibly be hundreds, thousands of Jewish men, Roman soldiers no doubt, trying to keep everyone under control, watching this. They see Jesus coming in. And they start laying down their garments that this is a king. They hold him up as a king. Verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they're shouting, Hosanna. What does that mean? Hosanna is, is Hebrew, Aramaic for uh, save us. Or a more even more uh, pressing, save us now. Save us. Hosanna. Hosanna. Listen to this. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 27, read this. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Sounds familiar, right? Save us. Bless us, you come to the name of the Lord. And so they're, they're saying this. Now listen here. So this psalm, the Psalm 118, as, as well as some around it, they were actually part of a Passover liturgy. Um, it, was, uh, it was a tradition that they did this every year for the Passover. And what they did was at the road that came up to Jerusalem, these people would gather and they would sing these psalms, they would say these psalms as the pilgrims, the men who were coming to Jerusalem, as it was commanded, as they are coming in, they would say these psalms. So it was not uncommon that they were saying this. But what was very uncommon and was very unique is that they saw the fulfillment of the psalm in the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus coming in. And they weren't just kind of saying this as part of the liturgy as they came in for the Passover. They were saying it about Jesus. This is him. This is the fulfillment of the king. He is coming. This is the long-awaited king, the, the person, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And they called him the son of David. And this, at this time, was a very recognized title for the Messiah king that was coming. It comes from, or has its roots from 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God himself gave King David the promise that from him will come one, a king who will have a kingdom that will have no end. And will rule forever. So here he is. 
The crowd is seeing this. They're crying out the typical liturgy of the time, but they saw the fulfillment specifically in this man, Jesus, on a donkey coming. And we see for a short time, and I say that intentionally, for a short time, the people are acknowledging Jesus' true identity as the son of David, the king, Messiah. But they fail, they fail to see him also as the lamb of God the Passover lamb that's coming into the household to be sacrificed just days later. They fail to see this. They fail to see that he comes as a king, but he also comes as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. They expected the king to overthrow uh, the, the powers that be, being the Romans. They expected that. They did not understand his kingdom or his kingship. Jesus will, no doubt, he will set up his earthly kingdom. He will. It is imminent in his promise all throughout. He will come. He will return. But first he came to save and to conquer sin and death. They wanted Jesus on their terms and not on the king's terms. But for the time being, they elevated Jesus as king. As he entered Jerusalem, they elevated him as king. And he is king. And he deserves our worship. He deserves to be elevated above all. He deserves to be elevated in our families, at our jobs. So here's the triumphal entry. Jesus of Nazareth coming. We see the authority of the king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. We see that he's the fulfillment of the king. All these prophecies, there's dozens of prophecies, but Matthew points out Zechariah at this event here, that Jesus is the fulfillment. And then we see here that the king deserves worship. He deserves to be elevated. This is no unique man. This is no ordinary man. This guy is unique. He deserves to be elevated. And that brings us to our last point, number four. The king who demands a response. The king who demands a response. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, remember, this was a swollen group of people, close to two million. They were stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So here comes a man of Nazareth. He's a Galilean. He's coming and he's on a colt of a donkey in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah and no person, this is not lost in any man, no, nor Jew, Jewish person there, that this is what's going on here. So again, potentially in, in, in front of thousands of people, this is happening. The long-awaited Messiah King is coming. This is him. And the whole city is stirred. Who is this man? Who is it that people are saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, son of David. Who is this man? And some responded to these that this is Jesus, the prophet. He is no ordinary man. And they saw him as the long-awaited Messiah King as they were saying these these prophecies uh, from Zechariah. So we see that Jesus demands a response of who you believe that he is. Who do you believe that Jesus is? He doesn't allow us. I know sometimes in, in my own life, uh, before I trusted in Christ, he doesn't allow us to sit on a fence. We think about, we talk about riding a fence on what decision to make. But Jesus doesn't allow this. Riding on a fence is a decision. It's a decision to, go, to not believe in him. That's what riding on a fence is. But I say that because Jesus' claims don't allow us to ride on the fence. Um, some people say, hey, Jesus, he was just a good person, right? He was just like Gandhi or, or Mother Teresa. He was just a good person doing good works and stuff. But what Jesus said does not allow for this. He claimed to be God. 
that doesn't allow for us to say, oh, he was a good person. No, he said some crazy, incredible things. And so as C.S. Lewis made popular, there's three typical responses we can give Jesus. One, he's a liar, that he was just lying about everything he said. Two, that he's a lunatic, that he's nuts, that he believed those things that he said, but that he was he was out of his mind, he was mentally ill. Or three, he is Lord, and he, everything he said was true. Those are the only three responses. The one that we can't have is just, oh, he's just a good person. And we can't just ride on the fence. Either you're for him or against him, Jesus says. And so he demands a response. How will we respond? There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. Either right now, me and you are acknowledging his kingship and lordship and are submitting to him, or you and I are rebelling against him and submitting to another king, namely ourselves. So don't play games. Jesus doesn't allow for games to be played. Either you're for him or against him. Uh, I was reading here, First uh, Kings, kind of re- talking about, about kings. In First Kings chapter 1, and I think maybe chapter 2, it records the death of King David, one of the greatest, if not the greatest king Israel ever had up to the point of Jesus coming. King David, he's coming to an end. And he's got multiple sons from multiple multiple women, but he wants his son Solomon to be king. And so he set things up that it is Solomon who's going to be king. But at that time, another son of David, uh, his name Odinajah, he was trying to set himself up as king. He didn't want Solomon, his brother, to be king. So at that time, he was setting himself up as king. But we read here that while Odinajah was doing this, he was hearing a loud noise coming, a loud praise coming through the town. And what was happening was Solomon was being led through the city on King David's meal, being presented as king. Solomon is king. And so Odinajah, uh, who was trying to usurp Solomon and be the one who's king, um, maybe reasonably, he came and begged Solomon for mercy. This is the king. What is he going to do? So he came and he started begging Solomon for mercy. And King Solomon grants mercy. He sees it and responds. He grants mercy. But the account doesn't end there. Soon later, and very soon later, as the next chapter in the book, Odinajah tries to overthrow Solomon. He tries to overthrow him again. And then Solomon has enough and he has him executed. And the point of me bringing this up is do not be like Odinajah. Do not fake a plea for mercy from Jesus while trying to make yourself as king. Do not fake it like Odinajah and then secretly on the side trying to make yourself as king. Because we don't fool who Jesus is. We don't fool him. We either bow to him voluntarily now through repentance and faith or we'll be forced to and be punished for it when he does come. So let me bring it together here. So what what should we see this morning from this passage? What should we see with all this going on? What should we see is that Jesus is king. He is the sovereign of the world. He reigns. He's on his throne right now with all these things that come up that's coming into our individual lives. Jesus is king. He has all authority. He is the long-awaited king in the fulfillment of dozens of prophecies. He deserves my worship. He deserves your worship. And he demands a response. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he comes on his terms and not ours. And he reigns and he sits on his throne. And praise God, praise God that this sovereign king is a good and merciful king. In this hard time, we can trust him. 
Because he makes promises to us. To us, his children, he promises. With the unknown finances, with unknown work, uh, the unknown future, the kids' education, we can trust the king who is in complete control, Jesus the Messiah. So as we begun there, the illusion is that we're in control of our lives, which we're not. And times like this kind of makes it obvious. We're not in control. But that's okay because God is God. And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is in control. He is older than you. He's smarter than you. And he loves you. You can trust him. Let's end our time today in prayer. Lord God, I imagine all of us uh, who are, are kind of gathered here today over these different avenues have different unique things going on in our lives with our jobs, with income, with kids' situations, with a lot of different things and other things that we don't even know of, sickness and, and, and uh, hard times in relationships, depression, all these different things. Um, and there's so much unknown. And if it, if it was just us, it'd be reasonable to worry but it's not just us. Lord, that you are Lord. Uh, God, as we look at our bank accounts, let us know, remind us that you are Lord and that you promise to care for us as we seek your kingdom. Lord, God, as we, uh, as we prayed earlier, as men in this unknown time, give us grace to lead, to have a, a confidence, to be an example to our families. That, yup, this is unknown. This is very unknown and it is scary but we can, we can get on the horse and go anyways because you are Lord, that you're in control. Uh, Father, again, I pray for all the, the wives and mothers that things might be a little messed up with kids' school being out. Uh, Lord, I pray for extra patience and perseverance and, and creativity and, and just help in all that, Lord. God, I pray that you would, this would be a special time where it's known that you are trustworthy, that you don't you don't fail us, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, and that it can just be known that, yep, this is God, this is Jesus the King who has stayed with us in this hard time. Even when we rebel against him at times, he stays with us. And Lord, may we, may we just rest in this. May we have a faith rest life that you're in control and that you love us. God, we ask this in the, in the name of, of King Jesus. Amen.